I was working there and started tasting all these wines and really got into it. And then they said, hey, you, you seem interested in this and you don't steal. So why don't you be in charge of wine? <laughs> From the heart of the Oregon wine country, you're listening to season four of the Wine Crush podcast. Stories uncorked for casual wine enthusiasts around the world, featuring winemakers from the Willamette Valley, sponsored by Country Financial. From origin stories to terroir, here is your host, Heidi Moore. Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome to Wine Crush Podcast. We are in episode three, season four, in our brand new, beautiful studio in downtown McMinnville. We're, again, we're going to say that every time because we are so excited to be in here and have our own space. We have some great guests today. We have Trout Lily Ranch, and we also have De La Boo. I said it right, and we're going to talk about it again. But we're going to start with Trout Lily Ranch. So we have Fanny Adams, and we have Kelly Kidney. Kidney. Gosh, darn it. <laughs> Kidney. And Kelly's the winemaker. Fanny, it's she's second generation with the winemaking and the whole label, and we're really excited to hear really the entire story of where Trout Lily came from. So I'm going to hand the floor over to you, Fanny, and let you start from the beginning. All right. Well, my parents sort of grew up in the generation that didn't know a lot about wine. Their parents drank cocktails, and so they learned about wine through travel. They traveled extensively when they were first married, and a love was sparked for wine and a curiosity for winemaking. And a high school friend of my dad's that you might have heard of, David Adelsheim, was... Small name in the wine business. (laughs) Was, you know, busy getting going in the industry. And he actually helped my dad find property on Hillside Drive in the Shale Mountains. And he just went for it. So... In 1976, my parents planted the first vines themselves and with the help of some friends. And they made their first couple vintages with the help of David Adelsheim and his sort of crew that he was putting together at the time. So was the vineyard, it wasn't a vineyard at that point in time, because in 1976, that was really truly the beginning of the entire wine industry. So what was that property at that point? It was a hazelnut farm. Oh, it was a hazelnut farm. Yeah. So when they bought it, they converted it over to a vineyard. I'll just say, I mean, it's a quarter of a mile from where the original Adelsheim winery was built. And the original Adelsheim vineyard, as you mentioned, and it's it's actually called Quarter Mile Lane. That's what they call the vineyard. And so the Adams Vineyard is just down the road. So they can see each other, literally, from the two properties, which is pretty cool. Yeah, those are pretty great neighbors to have. And, yeah, And definitely. it's really a beautiful spot back there. And I know your your mom is very creative. She was an artist and a chef. And I mean, she's just got a big personality from what I really understood and I had gotten from you and your husband when I was out at the vineyard. But she, if I understand right, was one of the very first winemakers in Oregon. She was. So the winemaking project was definitely my dad's idea. My parents have a sort of unwritten rule that they let each other try their different projects. And if it works out, it works out. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. And with the winemaking, my dad really led the charge on the first couple vintages. But around 1985, they moved the winery to a location in Northwest Portland. So it was the first urban winery in the city of Portland back when no one was doing it. Everyone thought they were crazy. And a friend that was helping my dad out in the winery was like, Carol, you need to get in here. You need to help us out. We need your guidance. And so she came in and really quickly had a knack for it. She was a chef and she grew up on a farm. She has a real understanding for cooking and a natural understanding of chemistry. And it just turned into her project. And my dad was able to step back and 
work on other business ventures to help sort of pay the bills because back then and probably now winemaking, you don't go into winemaking to get rich. You go into winemaking because, because you you're love crazy. It. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're crazy and you love it. <laughs> Come on. That can't be it. I mean, you know, according to Hollywood, you guys are loaded and that's like the rock stars of the entire wine industry are, you know, winemakers. You're making, you know, cash hand oh. over fist, right? So sexy. Really. It, it really is, is a sexy, you know, title, whether it's really sexy when you're actually doing it or not. No. I, I've been in there when you and it's you're not clean no it's a sticky dirty wet cold job it is yeah and at one point it was my mom and she had a female winemaking assistant and they were an all-female crew they had you know helpers come in different names you would recognize in the industry sort of got their feet wet in the wine industry in that winery in northwest portland so wasn't there a sign forever outside that building that said Adams Winery. It said Adams Vineyard. And for the life of us, we cannot track it down. When, but it was hanging out there even, I think, like yeah, when, as soon as 10 years ago or mm-hmm. more. Or so less. our friends bought the building from my parents when they took a break. So they made wine through the early 90s and sort of reached a point where they needed to take a breather. It, I mean, it is still very much a business where you do a little bit of everything, but back then even more so, you know, they were going on all the trips and doing all the sales and it, they just got to a point where they're like, all right, we're going to take a step back. Well, and they had two small children. Yes. And I'm say sh- it's you and your sister and, you know, especially probably at that point in time, you guys were probably middle school, high school. No, uh, we were like five and seven. Oh, I'm so, <laughs> so sorry. I totally aged you and I didn't mean to, but I also lost track of what year we were in at that point too. So, so at that point they shut down the winery and they sort of merged with Rex Hill with, they kept their property, but Rex Hill essentially leased it and cared for the property and sold the fruit uh, and yeah. sold the fruit. And that's where we actually met. Kelly's husband, Sterling Fox, who's been our longtime vineyard manager and collaborator and really a guiding light in our vineyard farming. So for about 10 years, they were combined with Rex Hill and we just sort of stepped back and I wasn't a winery kid anymore. I was just a vineyard kid and we spent our weekends out there and it was like some people have a beach house. We had our vineyard house. But when Rex Hill got bought by A to Z, my parents had a realization that they weren't interested in going that direction and the long-term lease that came with that. And Sterling recommended his lovely, I believe then fiance, you weren't married quite yet, right? to, to have a project, a little labor of love. My biggest fan. What can I say? (laughs) You have to have those, especially when you're married to them. It it really helps when, you know, you got your own cheerleading squad at home. It really does. Absolutely. So, I guess I forgot to say this. From 1981 to when the last vintage, 1991, 92, maybe it was a little later, maybe it was 95. It was Adam's Vineyard was the label. And when we merged with Rex Hill, Adam's Vineyard just sort of went away. It was the name of the property. But when my parents and Kelly and Sterling started collaborating, they came up with a new name because my parents weren't making the wine anymore. They felt like it was a good opportunity to get creative and rebrand a little bit. Sometimes I don't know why, but they came up with the name Trout Lily Ranch, and it's named after a flower that grows in the area. It grows abundantly on Kelly's property, too, that grows around springtime, Easter time, and they're just really one of those beautiful things that nature does where you're like, we didn't do anything to deserve this flower that's growing everywhere. And so the label has four flowers on it to represent the four members of our family, 
And it was just a fresh start with a new winemaker and a new project to sort of keep our feet in the wine industry. They just couldn't stay away. <laughs> it's really cool because the the trout lily, which is also called the fawn lily, it's what's considered an ephemeral. So it only lasts for about 10 days. It's a really quick bloomer. And the leaves are so beautiful. And they're called trout lilies and fawn lilies because they have these beautiful spots on the deep emerald green leaves. They're these gorgeous kind of brown or lighter green spots that look like the spots on a fawn or the spots on a trout. So it just was a really cool name to come up with. And I remember when they came up with that name, I just was once again astounded by Carol's creativity. I mean, she is just a style maven. I so want to be Carol Adams when I grow up. (laughs) I love that. And I do, you guys have to commit to it right now. When those flowers start blooming, I get a phone call and I want to, I've never seen one. And I thought I was kind of an aficionado of, you know, flowers. I mean, I really like them, but I have not seen that one. So it's coming. It's going to be probably in the next four to six weeks. I I figured it was probably going to yeah, be about late, late March, April, something like that. So I'll be waiting for that phone call. I'll leave my calendar open just for that. Great. So now that we have switched branding, you and your sister are now older and probably, are you now in high school? Well, so we were in 2007-ish now, probably, because our first 2008 was the first vintage I made for your folks. So I was away in college. I had, I helped a little with the label, but I... Didn't really know what was going on other than, oh, I guess they're making wine again. Was it was it something that you were really interested in being part of? Or did you kind of like, you know, kind of shrug your shoulders and go, eh, that's mom and dad's stuff? It came and went. I would say when I was a little kid and I saw my mom doing really cool things. And we went to preschool down the street from the winery. So I spent all my free time at the winery with my mom. So I was really inspired by her as a young child. But the older I got, the less interested I was. I went to art school. I studied fashion design. I had no intention of coming back and helping other than like, sure, I'll do the graphic design on the labels for you. But my husband and I moved back to Portland in 2013, maybe. That sounds right. And my husband was a chef and he moved away from the culinary industry and Kelly was like, why don't you come up with Harvest? And we realized that my parents were making this lovely wine, but we weren't really selling it. (laughs) It was very much a labor of love. And so we realized, my husband and I, that something's got to give here. We've got to get this wine out into the universe and get people drinking it. And since then, we've gotten more involved with the sales and the marketing, and we're in the process of building out a tasting room on the property. We've, in the for the past four or five years, done farmhouse tastings literally in our home there. So with COVID, obviously, that shut down because my parents are in their 70s, and so we're, we just got to take a breather for a minute. But we're really hoping that by spring, Jake and I will be out there all summer serving wine by appointment. Fingers crossed. <laughs> I had not really heard that place. news. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. So I we met originally to do this 
last about this time last mm-hmm. year, I think. It was I think we met at Assemblage officially. So that yes. was like early February, right? Yes. And then I finally came out and saw you and Jacob out at the farmhouse. And I remember kind of coming down the beautiful kind of windy, twisty dr- driveway under the beautiful oak trees and whatever's out there. And I pull up to this little house and I'm like, just kind of got out and looked around. I'm like, gosh, I don't even know if I'm in the right place. I mean, yeah. there's no... It's very rustic. <laughs> it's, well, there, I think there was a tr- like a tire swing in the front yard. And I'm like, oh, this is like my kind of place. I hope she's here. And so it, it just, yeah, the farmhouse and where it's at is so quaint. It's so peaceful. And I just was yeah blown away by the hospitality that you and your husband showed me that day. Yeah. I mean, we really love the idea of the farmhouse tastings. It's just not totally sustainable. And we spend most of our summer out there. So when we're really busy with tastings, I'm sort of the kids and I are in Portland and we love the idea. It's a family business and it's a family property and it's a family home. So we want to have a separate building. We're converting a barn. We want to have a separate building so our family can still be there and our guests can still have a really magical experience, but my kids like aren't in their face and or we're not banished to Portland for the weekend, you know? So when I think, I think it'll be a really authentic representation of us too. Like you're coming to our home to drink our wine. You're just not necessarily coming inside our house home. <laughs> I want to sit out on the porch though when, yes. when I come next time because I think it was raining that day. So we had to sit inside, but the back porch and kind of how it overlooks everything is just, it's very, I don't know, on Golden Pond-ish. I mean, it is. Yeah. It's, it's really romantic. It, yeah. It is very romantic. That's probably a good word because most people don't know what on, on Golden Pond is. So, yeah. <laughs> I got married out there, so I'm partial to it. I bet. <laughs> So I see that my glass is now empty. And so we'll do... Should we open the Pinot? Yeah, let's open the Pinot. So we have our official wine pour, who is our next guest that's going to be. Very nice. (laughs) Very nice. 2017, great vintage. We're drinking our Adams Reserve. So in 2016, in celebration of... 40 years of growing grapes and making wine, we brought back our original Adams label and specifically the reserve label. And my mom, I mean, through the labels now, she and I work on them together now, but my mom did all the original artwork for the original labels. And it was really special to be able to bring back the Adams label for this significant milestone. And we are really lucky to still have a handful of our original vines planted in 1976, our Pomar vines. They are old and delicate and beautiful and incredible. And we baby the shit out of them. (laughs) And you know what? They're hanging on and producing some fantastic, fantastic wine with obviously thanks to Kelly. (laughs) Thank you. Well, and also, you know, it's the site, it's the soil it's the vineyard management, a holy sterling. And, you know, it all comes together to just make my job so much easier. The original planting was 100% self-rooted. So there... Explain what that is, because not everybody knows what that means. Well, there is this nasty little root louse called phylloxera that attacks the roots and very slowly over time kills the vine. And that happens on what they call own-rooted vines. So the way that they've got around that over time is they will graft a phylloxera-resistant rootstock 
onto whatever they want the top clone to be. So it's, it's a different clonal material going into the ground where these nematodes or root louse live that will kill the plants, but they don't like those roots. So I don't know where they go, but they don't attack those vines. They just go away. They just go away or who knows whether... another vineyard that doesn't have that fancy right. rootstock. Yes. They're finding something else to feast on and it's no Perfect. longer our grapevines. So the entire planting, which, and I don't think the entire vineyard was not planted out in 76. I no. think it was what, like six or 10 acres or something like that. It was maybe two blocks worth. Yeah, it was. It's well, I know we've got the blocks back behind the house mm-hmm. and then the blocks on the other side of the house that are both old vines. So I wanted, I, maybe it was more like three or four acres yeah. that was planted initially with these self-rooted vines. And then, and there has been this small lens, as Sterling refers to it, of phylloxera that's slowly spreading, but it's really been held at bay. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the rest of the vineyard is on rootstock and they take great care as to the machinery that's coming in and out so that they're not transferring phylloxera potentially from another vineyard to this vineyard. So it's really held up beautifully all these years. So there is this three or four acres of self-rooted and it's all pomard, which is lovely as well. And so it just really makes a really elegant and nuanced wine, this old vine pomard. And my favorite clonal blend is Pomard and Triple Seven. I like to refer to Triple Seven as the love child of Pomard and Badensville. Badensville is more herbaceous. It's less fruity. There's always these high tones of like thyme and oregano and sometimes a little fresh dill in there. Whereas Pomard is all cola and dark chocolate and kind of forest earth, you know, that dark dirt smell that I love. And Triple Seven has all of this wonderful strawberry, raspberry, and hay notes married with the pomard, which is all the chocolate cola and forest notes. And to me, it just really makes a gorgeous, gorgeous wine. Reserve that we're tasting today, though, is a barrel selection. And it did turn out in 2017 that we all loved the old vine palm. So this is, I think it's 100% old vine palm in this 17 reserve that we're tasting today. It, it's delicious. I mean, it's really this beautiful dark color and all the adjectives that you just used are beautiful and they made me hungry with everything <laughs> that you're just saying. It makes me want to go out into nature, drink a glass of wine and just really experience it because very well done. Nice killing. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. And I just want to say, it's, I didn't bring our 2017 estate with me today, but it's really fun to taste them side by side, the reserve and the estate because correct me if I'm wrong, Kelly, but the winemaking process for both is pretty much the same. It's exactly the same. And it's really just the difference of the age of the vines and then the clone that creates, there are similarities. I feel like you can taste the similarities through them, but they are so distinctly different. And the reserve with the old vines tends to be much earthier, like Kelly just described, where our estate that blends the triple seven with the pomard in the younger vines is much more fruit forward. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just so cool to see that something that is so similar is so different. Yes. There, there is some barrel influence, but 
Generally speaking, our percentage of new oak on these wines is very low. It's typically right around 40%. So I want oak to be an accessory. I don't want it to be a distraction, you know, like a heavily perfumed woman. I don't want you to smell the oak before you can see it. Another great adjective and everybody (laughs) can totally identify with that. I know we started with the rosé and I know you have a couple other different varietals that I want to at least mention and take note of before we have to kind of wrap up and figure out where to find you guys. Absolutely. So we also have a Sauvignon Blanc. And we are excited to say that as of 2019, it's all estate grown. The few previous vintages, we got our fruit from Craft Vineyard and a longtime colleague right. that my parents worked with back in the day. But our Sauvignon Blanc is really lovely. And then we, yes, we do our rosé and we also have a little bit of our Pinot Gris left. Ooh. And I had the Sauvignon Blanc with dinner last night and actually I opened it on Wednesday and I hoarded it because I, I think I ran out of here with it because somebody had already grabbed Travis's Pinot. So, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but it was so good. And my husband who, as most anybody who listens to this has been a beer guy and anti-wine from the beginning, shared it lovely last night. Like he actually took more than I did, (laughs) which was kind of not nice. So... I love hearing that. My favorite thing is when people say, well, you know, I'm not really a Sauvignon Blanc drinker, but this is really good. And we do get that a lot with the Sauvignon Blanc. It's, you know, it turns people. It makes them become Sauvignon Blanc people. (laughs) You know, I just think there's so many preconceived notions on what people think they like and what they don't like. And they completely, totally have a wall block on, you know, Chardonnay or Sauvignon Blanc or Riesling or whatever it is. And you just need to be open-minded. Try the wine. Life is short. We've we've talked about this. It's on our glasses. So I want to... I want to make sure that everybody knows where to find the wine, where to buy the wine, where to eventually book the appointments to come out and um, visit the lovely farmhouse and find you on social media. Absolutely. Well, you can purchase our wines on our website, troutlilyranchpinot.com, and we do complimentary local delivery within the greater Portland and Newburgh McMinnville area. So we're happy to drop off your order that you place if you're so inclined And we are on Instagram, which is, we have a mailing list, but follow us on Instagram. That's where we talk about everything (laughs) that is at Trout Lily Ranch. And I do want to add, we have a lot of library wines still. Like there's limited amounts, but like if you're like that person that is obsessed with a certain vintage, just, you know. Give you a call. Yeah. You might have it. We have a really special ability because this was a labor of love for so long to do these vertical tastings that are really fun. And that's something we really like to do when we do our in-person tastings. So hopefully come June, we will be open by appointment. It's great. It's great to see where the wines are headed by tasting these older vintages. And I'll just say, if you can get your hands on a well-made 2010 vintage Pinot Noir, do it. So I'd, I'd like to buy a case, please. Yeah. <laughs> I can hook you up. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you, ladies. It has been so incredibly wonderful. Finally, one year later, having you here. And uh, just, again, call me with the flowers bloom and mm-hmm. mark me down in the farmhouse later this year when you guys open. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Heidi. Thank this you. is great. Okay. We'll see you soon. We hope you enjoyed the segment with Trout Lily Ranch, and we will be right back with Travis with De La Boo Wine. Ah. 
food and wine. It's probably the best pairing invented ever. Am I right? Honestly, from a casual approach, satisfy your senses in whichever way you please. From arepas to paella, our food partner, Pura Vida Cocina, has your palate covered. And we want to give them an extra special thanks for always keeping our bellies full with their creative Latin American-inspired dishes. Now do your belly a favor and head on over to puravitamac.com to order out or dine in COVID safe style at their McMinnville location. Now, excuse me, while I go stuff my face with this incredible paella mix that was just delivered. Cheers, y'all. Well, in between guests here, we decided to fill our glasses with this really incredible Syrah that it's a baby Syrah, but we're going to circle back to that here in a little bit and you're going to explain it and why it's a baby and we'll talk about it a little bit more but I want to at least introduce the winemaker that's you know here as our second guest so we have Travis which is one half of the partnering team of De La Boo Wine and Chris couldn't make it and which is which is fine he's missing the party so Travis is representing you both so I don't even know where to start with you, to be honest with you. I, you know, the more I talk to you, the more colorful you are and the more I get on your background. So I guess let's start where and why you got into wine and all the little interesting pieces in between and make sure and kind of get a little bit of Chris's story in there too, because he's got some interesting stuff too. Of course. Well, Heidi, I think I could probably take up the next 25 minutes with this story. So I'll, I'll try to, I'll try just to a shorten little. this a little bit. It's a very long. So I guess the journey kind of began for wine with me and Chris a little over 10 years ago. We actually met 10 years ago, like this week. It's so like an anniversary then. year anniversary, yeah. It's, and he's I'm not so here. I'm so sad that he's not here. A neglected spouse at this moment. Oh, man. So we met through a mutual friend that I worked with at a resort in Big Sky, Montana. And so we were working at the ski resort and Chris and my friend Josh, who I guess I should maybe subtly throw in, is in a, an incredible bluegrass band called Lady Lou and the Bird Dogs. They're out of Bozeman, Montana. You should just look them up. Uh, shameless plug for my friend. So Josh and I were roommates and played music together. And we met or I met Chris through Josh. They were college roommates for one semester before they both transferred away from that college. So that is how Chris and I met. And he came through Montana and that's where kind of our conversation started. But we didn't ever know that this kind of thing was going to happen in the future. And so working at the resort was where I got exposed to a vast array of incredible wines from around the world that I had never even seen before. I had bartended all through college, working at the beach. It was always, you know, when you don't know what you want to do, you can always get a job bartending somewhere. So you can at least be in a cool place. And so I was working there and started tasting all these wines and really got into it. And then they said, hey, you, you seem interested in this and you don't steal. So why don't you be in charge of wine? <laughs> and so, yeah, nice I, work. Yeah, exactly. I kind of threw that in there. But, you know, they so they let me be in charge of the wine program. Well, I knew zero things, but I was apt to I, I wanted to learn. So I got to taste all these amazing wines from all over the place. And in taking over the wine program, I saw all these wines and I would have to do inventory every month. And so that would be kind of an opportunity to say, oh, what is this? I don't even know what this is. I certainly can't pronounce that. And then I'd get an opportunity to taste it later on. I go, oh, okay, that was really cool. And someone would have corrected me on on the pronunciation. Just like me with De La Boo uh, and yeah, so every, everything I'm, else that like, I've done. Poor Kelly's name. Call it whatever yes. you want. Who cares? Somebody's going to botch it down the road anyway. It doesn't matter. So that was kind of where my love for wine started. And then working through working at the Yellowstone Club, 
I was able to come to Pino Camp in 2014. So That's like so impressive. many other people in the world who come to Pino Camp that quit their jobs and then move to Oregon, it's a great <laughs> recruiting tool for us as, as employers, I suppose. So I worked at Harvest in 2014 and then went back to Montana, worked at the restaurant a little bit longer. And before we were, as I was thinking about transitioning out of restaurants, my wife and I were just, well, she wasn't my wife at the time. She's now my wife and she does a lot of behind the scenes work for, for us. So, so we, she said, what do you want to do? What would you want to do after, you know, you've quit your job? I was retired. I was like bowling on Tuesdays. It was really fun. So uh, I have to ask what <laughs> age you decided to retire. Cause my, never mind. How old were you when you decided okay, to retire? So I was not retiring. I should also maybe say that that's tongue in cheek. <laughs> I was, I had enough money to not work for like three months, which I was going to, which, which I was totally going to take advantage of. And so anyway, you know, we were discussing what the next stage was going to be. And I said, she said, what would you do if you could do anything? I said, I would go back and work at a winery. The work was really fun. It was very satisfying. It was hard, hard work, but you felt like you were doing something and you were working towards creating a tangible product later on. The camaraderie around the winery, I mean, everything about all of it, just the romance behind, oh, this bottle is really amazing. What's amazing is how much it takes to get that into the bottle and how are we going to do that? And I would say that 99% of the world has no idea the work that goes into that bottle. I did not until I had, you know, gone actually back through some classes and I'm like, holy cow, this is like having a dairy farm, but with grapes. It's just crazy. 24-7 babysitting. Yeah. You know, it's, I had a great time learning and, and kind of training my palate and tasting a bunch of really amazing things from people that I now respect and would say, oh my God, I would fanboy out if I met them. And so one of them's in here right now. So there's a switch in your brain that, that eventually you go, how do you do this? Not just, oh, I can taste these things. This reminds me of this thing. And, and there's a thousand million adjectives that you could throw out. But the unique thing is, how do you get that? And that's something that I kind of latched onto and just, it became this passion of, I want to figure this thing out. And now that I'm doing it, the ironic thing is that I never actually will. I'll never get to the end. <laughs> You'll never be like, you know, get it in the bottle and go, well, I figured it all out. That's what you do now. You know, it's yeah. every year is different. Every, I mean, you know, every vintage is different. Every vineyard is different. And how do you put all these things together and make something that tastes good and represents what the farmers are doing. You know, it's, it's, we're as winemakers, we're kind of the middlemen to take this thing that somebody works, you know, their ass off to grow and create, and then they give it to us. And like, we're the stewards of we'll shepherd it through. And that, and that, that feels like it's interesting when you go, oh man, I really hope I don't mess this up, you know? And it's nice when, the, when the people that are growing the grapes do such a good job that you feel that when you get it, you're like, oh, I don't want to mess this up. You know, very rarely have I experienced well, we're going to have to take this and turn it into something, you know. <laughs> so it, it, it's all about who you work with and, and you know, how to continue to be the guy that hands it off to the to the next person, you know, be it the bottling line guy or, you know, the people doing labels. I mean, there, it's, it's really a humongous team sport. So that's kind of where I guess is a great segue for for Chris as well. And so Chris, his background, he has always been a passionate guy about food and he learned how to make pizzas in, I'm not going to remember the name of the school, but a famous place in Naples. And so, yeah, <laughs> that, like, where that, are you that go? was a good way to just totally vanillaize the whole yeah. schooling thing. So you didn't screw that up. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah. Chris, is an, Chris is an amazing guy. And, and we kind of got together after I had moved here and he said, Hey, you know, like, could we do something together? That seems like a really like you're learning how to do it from scratch and you don't know. 
And he was right. I don't. And I'm totally, I, I wouldn't say I'm self-taught because I've asked a million people questions along the way. And every single person that I've met has been incredibly helpful. And that's another reason that we kind of ended up here as opposed to somewhere else is that the, the, the real community feel of the Willamette Valley is, I would say, indescribable. Uh, I think that's actually a really good word for it because I've been so impressed, you know, because business is competitive, whether it's wine or it's, you know, insurance, which is, you know, my day job or it's, you know, the restaurant next door or whatever. Everybody, you know, seems to think they need to compete with everybody else. And the wine industry here specifically, because I spend so much time here, they help each other. They want to see everybody succeed and, and they're willing to, you know, give their secrets and their tricks and their tips. And it's been really cool to actually see that because you don't see that very often. Yeah. You you know, if Kelly and I did the exact same thing to the exact same grapes, it would still turn out different. And that's, that's kind of the uniqueness where, where I think people really share their, their knowledge around here. I mean, it's amazing to go to the Bitter Monk on a Friday evening and you're, you know, elbow to elbow with 30 other winemakers and you're all talking about the thing that you're doing and it's all the same thing, but it's all different. And, and, you know, we're all going to do the best that we can, but we're all going to get different results. And that's a really unique uh, piece of the puzzle here. Yeah. Dave's going to really love that you mentioned the bitter monk. So I'll make sure and tag him in this. And, (laughs) and it is right across the street from my office, just so you know, so you can stop in and see us too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a a great And I am really disappointed because I have heard that somebody else that was doing a podcast got a pizza delivered to them by Chris at some point. So, you know, I'm not really sure where our pizza went. I can, I can mail wine to the other guy in the other podcast that we were on, but I can't, it, the pizza just doesn't travel as well. Shame, shame. Okay, I'll take a rain check on that uh, one. But he'll be he'll be out here in the, within the month, and maybe we'll 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 try to drop off a pizza. I don't know that we're going to be able to cook it like that though. Anyway, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll figure it we'll out. Figure it, it doesn't out. matter. That's totally that, that's, di- that's a wholly different. That subject. will be yes. Chris, the pizza maker expert's problem, right? Yes, absolutely. You're the wine guy, so you know you are now designated no, as so, the wine guy. So we've been we've it's been a, a great partnership, and and it will continue to be. And every step of the way, we've gone. How do you do this thing? And then we just try to do it. So how do you start a winery? I don't know. You just do it. Uh, First, you just you start come up doing with, it. Start yeah. asking people questions, and then you there's like a ton of paperwork. Yes, which is in between. <laughs> and then you know, how do you get you know everything from every decision that we've made has been you know it's really been a great experience to say how are we going to do this thing that we've never done? I know how fermentation happens, but I think Kelly would probably agree with me that the winemaking is the easiest part, and all of the other things are the are the difficult part. How many machines break? How many things, you know, you're, you're just always constantly trying to find something out. But the, the, the best part about it is that it is always a learning experience and you're always going, how do I do this better? How do I make this thing work all the way to the business side? And so that is how kind of long story short, how you guys uh, all became a couple, long, how we became, you know, we've, we've worked together and say, okay, I'll tackle these things. And Chris will say, all right, I'll tackle these things. And, and we just kind of like hunt them down and sniff it out. And, you know, I think a great testament to that is like what you're looking at is a bottle that we haven't labeled yet because that takes time too. And you don't always know, <laughs> you know, the hurdles that you're going to come to. And so our labels are out for approval, by the way. He has written on the bottles nicely with a sparkly Sharpie. So we know exactly. I tried to do an artistic touch. You, you, know? <laughs> you did. Um, I love it. I actually was expecting like some like limerick or something on there that, you know. Yeah, none of it rhymes. Yeah. Or, you know, and then I guess the, the other part on the labels is where Chris's wife, Gretchen, comes in. She's an artist. And so she did the artwork for our labels. And she's like a 
you know, when I say an artist, she's like a real artist. So we need to go back to not like me drawing on these bottles. Well, yeah, they're a little bit chicken scratchy, but you know, it's giving you the benefit of the doubt on those. We're rustic. <laughs> yeah, rustic. We're a startup. So speaking of rustic, because you guys told me what the name De La Boo means and we haven't gotten there yet. So it's yours. Tell us what it means and why you chose that. So De La Boo is a shortened phrase from Nostalgie De La Boo, which is French for longing for the mud is the literal translation. But the slang term is, hold on, I have to think about this. Cut that part out where I thought about it. No, it's it's a longing for simpler times. And so we kind of felt like it, w- it went both ways on what we're doing is about what's in the earth and what's what's in the dirt and the soil. So the mud aspect of it. And then kind of, you know, the longing for simpler times is just how do we just put our heads down and like do the work and get this thing done and pull it across the finish line. I think my favorite reference to Nostalgie de la Boo is also we left off Nostalgie because it just is hard to say. So we just said De La Boo sounds great. I think I actually was better with the nostalgia part than the De La Boo part. So, so yeah, tomato, tomato. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of where the phrase comes from. But I think the best the best reference that I in, in searching through all different types of literature was the idea of pig consciousness. Have you ever heard of this? Did you say pig? Pig, like yeah. Like P-I-G. A, like, yeah, like yes, a pig. Uh, no, that would be a no. So uh, the pig consciousness is uh, is wallowing in the mud and loving it. And I feel like that it really encompasses winemaking in general as well, because you're always, as Kelly said, cold, wet. What were the other adjectives? Sticky. Cold, wet, sticky, just gross in general. You know, so it really worked on multiple different levels. And then also kind of pays homage to the French who have been doing this a lot longer than us. And if we could ever be that good, if I could ever be that good, I'd, I'd be happy. You brought a whole lot of glamour to the winemaking, you know, <laughs> trade there just with your sticky adjectives. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> gotta thank you for that. <laughs> thank you for that. Okay. So let's talk about wine because you gave me two bottles. You guys are a newer label. So you don't have, you know, you don't have the, the library wines like, you know, Fanny and Kelly do with, with Trout Lily Ranch. So what are you doing? I, I know what you put in the bottles and gave to me. We had like this like late night, you know, running from the winery, meeting me at the Mexican place at Amity to drop off bottles so we could do our wine Wednesday. It was just, it, it felt kind of like an undercover drug deal, but with wine bottles, it was, it was so funny. Well, that's the glamorous part of the wine industry. It's the driving, My husband the thought driving we were around crazy. in the night yes. waiting for, <laughs> waiting in parking lots to give wine to people. You know, however we get it out there. So 2019 was our first vintage. This is, you're tasting the first thing we've ever done. That's exciting. Thank you for sharing with us. Yeah, of course. Uh, and I other saw than the, I told you to bring wine, so, well, yeah, or asked you to bring wine. <laughs> I saw the empty bottle in there and I, I got a little bit self-conscious and thought, oh man, they either liked it or they poured it out. It's gone. My plants um, are really healthy around here with bad wine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm totally yeah, kidding. They're all drooping. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so really what we tried to do, we picked two vineyards, one of which the Syrah that we're, t- that we're drinking right now. This came to us. This has actually got a great story as well. We had been on the hook for two tons of Pinot Noir from Vista Grande Vineyard up in the Shahala Mountains. It's about a mile and a half uphill from Raptor Ridge. That's the easiest way for me to tell you kind of where it is if you're familiar with the area. If you're not familiar with the area, it's really high up on this hill. It's, um, it's on top of Bull Mountain, yeah, near, it's, near it's, the top. It's a, it's a very high elevation site. And I think it goes from about, I want to say in between seven to 800 feet. So the grapes there really struggle to get ripe. It pre- preserves this like this beautiful acidity, which I really like. And the grapes 
from that site, make a really light, beautiful, as you guys probably tasted, you know, really kind of like a whisper of a wine, I think is maybe a good way to say it. It's a, and very aromatic. And so we use very little new oak. Actually, we use no new oak, just first or second year barrels that we source from other various wineries that are getting rid of them. So that there's a little help always from, from other places. So that kind of describes the Pinot Noir. You get really, really pretty, you know, raspberry, cranberry, kind of high tone strawberry, very red fruit. It was um, beautiful. The color of it was so pretty. Like we held it up in front of the window and it looked like a, like a ruby kind of like, I think I described it as a color I'd love to wear in a sweater. I mean, it was just, it was so pretty. Yeah. It's a, it's that, that site in particular is, is, incredible in that way and we really just try to back off of what of of anything that we're trying to do and let the fruit kind of speak for itself and and the fruit from that site is just it's just so light and pretty and is in a great contrast to a you know some other fruit that we see around the around the valley so this year we're contracting pinot noir and chardonnay from gregory ranch in the amho carlton district and looking at these two vineyards i mean it's like vista grande is 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 elegance and grace and Gregory Ranch is like power and muscle. I mean, it is, it is a very, they're very, very different, but it's a really unique thing because I, I do think it speaks to both of those sites. <laughs> That'll be exciting um, to try those when, so, when they're ready. So in the, in anyway, back to what's in our glass. So I, I ended up because 2019 there were rains and birds and just all this, you know, any number of bullets to dodge. We, we ended up a little short. And so it's our first vintage and, and Chris and I are talking. I'm saying, Oh my God, we're not going to have enough. It's going to be just this very, this barely this amount. Anyway, this guy drives up to deliver grapes for where I work. This guy named Lonnie Wright, who I got in touch with, he, he, I was talking to him about it and said, oh, you know, it's, we're a little short on this one thing. And he said, well, I've got, if you need a, if you need some Syrah, I have some Syrah. And I said, yeah, why not? I, why not? Let's just do that. So I got a ton of Syrah from Lonnie to fill out my first two tons, you know, which is a very small amount. And that's kind of how this wine came to be. It was that it, there was no plan of, I want to make this, this thing and and let it come to fruition. It was this is what's available to us. And we ended up with it. And uh, so it basically found you It did in, in, it really a, in did. a respect. Yeah, yep, exactly. And so, uh, you know, we, we took it under our wing and, and there's no new oak on this either. In fact, I think this is all neutral oak. And I think Syrah kind of has that, that boldness that, that kind of carries through. And sometimes that doesn't play as well with a lot of new oak. Sometimes it does. And there's beautiful examples of it, but for this wine, I feel like we did a we we maybe made some of the right decisions here and and it's delicious it's very jammy which i love jammy kind of wines so kudos to that but you had called this a baby wine what does that mean i i think i know what that means but you know we want to hear it from you so i just would say i think that there's some some decent aging potential with this wine you know the tannin structure is big and round and like you said it's very jammy and you get that kind of you know, dustiness in the, in the, in the mid palate, but the, the acidity is also a lot higher than, uh, a lot of Syrahs that I've seen and the alcohol is a little lower. So we kind of tried to streamline this into, you know, how does that acid balance play with the rest of the matrix of the wine and add to some ageability? And it just, it's just a little wound up right now. That's all. I mean, it's, I think that there's aging potential here, you know, but some people don't like wine that's aged. 
some people like to drink it right off the spout. No, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and I know we talked about that with the first episode. You know, I think what she say, 90% of wines drank within the first week of purchase or the first night of purchase or something. I mean, it's, it's amazing. So not as many people are aging their wines or drinking them right away, which good and bad to that, I guess, but you know, is what it is. Well, when you only make about 150 cases in your, in your first, in your first vintage, you know, it's once people buy it and take it home, I, you know, they do it. It's theirs. They can do whatever they want with it. So what are the plans going forward with wine? Well, we're looking to increase our production this year. We've had great response to our pre-sale that we offered. We'll save a little bit for some restaurants. And this year, going into 2020, we have Pinot Noir from Gregory Ranch, Chardonnay from Gregory Ranch, which is very exciting. I'd never made Chardonnay before. So just like everything else, why not try it? Vista Grande, we're now taking over the farming for. So that's really fun, as, as if we didn't have enough things to do. Because you don't have a day job either. Right. Yeah. Right. Because, yeah, <laughs> out of retirement into a full time day so, job. <laughs> so now on my weekends, I, I prune and take care of this vineyard. You do have some of the best pictures on Instagram, though. You did rock your wife's sunglasses quite nicely. Oh, thank you so much. Yes. Uh, it, it was a little Sophia Loren. You need those yeah. things when you're pulling brush and you, you know, you don't have eye protection. You like, I've swatted myself enough times to say, you know, I don't care what I look like. I'm just going to. It was is a very Gucci look. If, it was, if those it was hadn't nice. been there, it was going to be like peel open a water bottle and <laughs> make a shield or something. I, you know, I can't go all the way home because I forgot that it's it's like forty minutes away. So so we're taking over that to two point six acres, which is the same block that we've been getting fruit from, and some more Syrah this I year. As say, well. I hope you're doing more of this too. We are, yeah. So so is Lonnie the man that you're doing more Syrah with? Lonnie's the man. He's uh, he's planted I think everything in the Dalles. He's a really great guy and. You know, I think that that is an area. The Columbia Gorge is a is a, a newer AVA that I think has the potential for some to be the up and coming place in 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 Oregon. I mean, there's some there's some really unique producers doing unique things with fruit from there, and it's kind of an overlooked place because I, I do think you know the Willamette Valley is incredible and for great reason gets a lot of acclaim. But there's so many places in Oregon that that really can grow amazing grapes, and and you know for people that don't just like Pinot Noir. There's there's so many other things that are available here. Yeah, totally agree. There are some major hidden gems all over the state. We haven't spent a lot of time in Southern Oregon yet, but we're we're working down that way. But yeah, the Columbia Gorge, every time I go up there, I've been to a handful of wineries up there, just kind of, you know, learning and, and talking to people. And Lonnie's name, I think, comes up every time <laughs> I'm up there. So it's actually is pretty cool. I'm so, trying to convince him to sell me some of his 100-year-old Zinfandel vines, but I don't think he will. Okay. Well, we need to figure out how to find you, how to buy this wine and, and really just where to follow all your adventures. Sure. Is that the right way to say that? I guess so. Why not? So our website, of course, dalebuwines.com, I think, or maybe it's just dalebu.com. I'm not the internet person. How do you Chris spell is the internet boo? person. B-O-U-E. D-E-L-A-B-O-U-E. Google that. It will take you to our domain. Find find it on Instagram. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then we're Actually, also it'll be in our show notes. So, you know, grab it in the show notes. Grab it from, you know, Perfect. some of our social media posts. It'll be great. We'll Google it after this and okay. then figure it out. Dalebu.com and then Dalebu Wines on Instagram. And there's a link to shop on there as well. And the pre-sale is probably ending in like a week or so. So we've almost sold it all out, which is, I can't believe that. That's, I mean, that's a good problem to have. It's going quickly. 
Well, I appreciate your time, your wit, your humor, and you joining us with your baby wines. And these are delicious. I can't wait to see kind of how they age and and what they look like going forward. So say thank you to Chris. I'll say thank you to Chris too, because you guys Zoom called with me, I don't know, a month or two ago, and we originally kind of hashed this out and, and met each other. So yeah. We'll have a we'll have a wine date later on when there's, you know, some more to talk about. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I enjoyed listening to these two ladies as well. It was great. Okay, you have a great weekend and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you to all our listeners for tuning in today. And don't forget to follow Wine Crush Podcast on social media and your favorite podcasting platform. And make sure to review and subscribe to the show, as well as joining the newsletter to be notified on all Wine Crush happenings on winecrushpodcast.com. Cheers, y'all. And remember, life is short. Drink the wine. We want to give a special thanks to all of our partners of Wine Crush Podcast, sponsored by Country Financial, produced and managed by the Daydream Agency, audio engineered by Silent Outburst Productions, our culinary partner, Pura Vida Casina, and to all of our wonderful listeners in Oregon wine country and to those around the world. Hey, thank you so very much. We really appreciate all your support. 